0: Good morning, saints of God. Happy Sabbath. It's such a privilege to be here this morning and worshiping our God together. And before I will start, let's bow our heads in word of prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for all the blessings you bestow upon us. And I pray, dear Father, this morning that your words would be spoken, and I pray that um, you would use me to uh, change the hearts of people, that um, those that are in need of you, and I know that in this congregation, all of us are in need of you. In this um, town of Templeton, in our country, in the world, everyone is in need of Jesus, and I pray, dear Father, that our hearts will be open to your word and that they will be changed and that more people would be brought to Jesus. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, I pray, amen. Well, the Seventh-day Adventist movement is a quite large movement. We have about 79,000 churches and uh, um, 19, around 19 million um, members that joined that movement at some point of their life. Uh, last year, uh, there was more than 1 million people baptized and became the members of Seventh-day Adventist Church. And if you had an opportunity to watch uh, uh general conference session this this uh, summer, you could see that you know, colorful, colorfully dressed people uh, walking through the stage with their national flags, and the numbers were uh, blinking for every country and region. How many um, Adventists are right now in that country? So it was—it was pretty, pretty—you uh, um, know, neat thing to see. But even the numbers are, you know, great. Praise the Lord. The numbers have names. And uh, every name has a story. And this morning, um, we opened our service with a hymn to my old, to tell old, old story. And that's what um, I would do by the grace of God to tell you the old, old story about Jesus and his love. And uh, each one of us has. That story because um, Jesus loves us all. Uh, I was um, born in Kazakhstan, which is uh, a very large country uh, in Central Asia. It borders China and Russia and a couple other stands, um, countries that are, uh, you know, uh, very close to Afghanistan. That's kind of if you, if you, Uh, envision the map of the world Um, you know the testimony is a great thing because Revelation 12 tells us that there is an accuser of brothers and sisters and he does not sleep at all because he accuses brothers and sisters day and night without ceasing but Revelation 12 tells us that he is thrown down by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony of those brothers and sisters, of the servants of God. So they triumph over him by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. So we... uh, Participating, when we tell our story, we were part- participating in that great event of triumphing over Satan. And, uh, you know, causing others to do the same. So, back to the Kazakhstan, um, it's, uh, it was a part when I was born there. Now it's a country, but when I was born, it was a part of the former Soviet Union. And, um, you know, as many people usually address us, Russia, which, you know, it's wrong. (laughs) But (laughs) Russia um, is a a a big country and used to be a big republic. But there is a lot of small, uh, now independent countries that are attached to it. And Kazakhstan uh, was one of them. It was the second largest republic in Soviet Union um, after Ukraine. And uh, people of Kazakhstan, the natives of Kazakhstan are um, Asian of Asian ethnicity. They look Some of them look like Mongolians, some like Chinese, some like Japanese. Um, and uh, during the um, reign of Stalin, he sent uh, a lot of Germans to Kazakhstan, a lot of Koreans. Um, Ukrainians, so it became a very diverse republic, Uh, Jewish people. And so, I I grew up in a diversity, Uh, my mother was adopted into the Jewish family, so uh, Jewish people were around us all the time, my uh, my parents had a lot of friends who were Kazakhs, so I always called them uncles and aunts, and uh, it was kind of a big family. So I had no idea about racism or or anything like that. And uh, it seems to be I had a pretty, pretty good childhood. My parents were teachers of the language and literature. And everything was going pretty well. The only one thing I was not aware of was God. Because being a part of former Soviet Union, Kazakhstan had a big religion of atheism. And we had practically no idea who God was, what was it all about, because we constantly were taught in daycare, kindergarten, school, that there was no God. Actually, that is the message of atheism. And um, so, you know, you cannot close the doors completely. We know that. God will always find you. And uh, um, being a very, very little child and uh, liking watching cartoons, um, you know, some of my little friends like to do, um, there was one particular show that was on, on TV, kind of like a puppet show but televised, very short, about, I would say, three, four minutes and it was a puppet that had gray hair, and that uh, was old man. And it was God. And then it was, you know, hardly dressed two people, and it was Adam and Eve, and a snake made out of a sock. And the only theme that they had, that they showed, was when Eve took the, you know, apple and ate it. Snake was there, and that was it. And I had, later in life, I thought, why would they have it on TV? And I thought, well, it was kind of, see how funny it looks? So when you, people talk about God, that's what they imagine. There's a story of nothing. Someone ate apples, some fairy tale happened. But, and I think that's why they show it once in a while. But somehow, I really loved that show. And every time it would be on, I would be sitting right next to the TV and just watching it. And I wanted to know what happened afterwards. And, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting how when we have a circumstances without God, he's still there. And when I got older and um, went to my middle school, um, we, we um, had a class when all the careers, all people of different careers can come and uh, tell us about what they do, and this particular day, they invited a pastor, a Baptist pastor, which I had no idea what the Baptist religion was or pastor or anything like that, and they just wanted him to tell us what what is all about, about his face, what he believes in. And then we can ask questions. Of course, there will be many questions because we were not educated on how to, you know, what to ask. But after, and, you know, people were very respectful to him. But after he would leave, teachers would tell us that, uh, you know, this person, he's not educated at all. He's just from the dark ages. See, he believes in some God. And so we know better. That's why you're in school. That's why you study science. So you're much more advanced already. And uh, when when this man came, I had something that I, I didn't experience before. I had some kind of a pull towards the man who was talking, and he was so humble. And, uh, and and shy and noble, not like my teachers, which I still loved my teachers. You know, hey, Lucy loved his, her teacher, right? Like John told us. And so I loved my teachers, but he was different. And I remember that for years. I still remember that and tell you about it. Um, we didn't ask many questions, but after he left, a memory of him kept coming to my mind. And when I watched the puppet show, actually, you know, I watched it when I wasn't even little. I watched it when I was a teenager when it was on TV. And when I would watch it, I would think, "Hmm, that guy—he believes in it. But what is it that he believes in?" And so the question was there, bothering me. I grew up with the uh, elderly grandma, and I think it's a big privilege for children to grow up with the elderly people and she i don 't think she believed in God or practiced uh, her beliefs, but maybe from her parents she was a she was a widow of the revolutionary and revolutionaries in in um, former Soviet Union they actually fought for not having God in the, you know, at first of the uh, country, in the name of the country. And uh, so she still would talk to me. And when I did something wrong, she would say, fear God. Or she would tell me once in a while, God is with you. And I don't know, I cannot, even now, when I'm trying to analyze it, I don't know why she done that without believing in God herself. I really, truly believe that God uses people anytime. Even those who are not with God. But he puts words in their mouth. And he, through some certain behavior, he still changes life. Because he looks at you and he said, You are mine. And I'm going to do anything possible to transform you. And I will use the empty pot to transform you. And so, not, I'm not calling my grandma an empty pot. She was a very wise woman. But those words, I would think, hmm, God. And then in the morning of uh, Passover, or Easter, which I choose to call it a Passover. In the morning of a Passover, she would wake, up, wake me up with the words... Christ is resurrected. And I would have to tell her back, truly resurrected. It was some kind of like a little game. I know that was a tradition, but it was a little game for me. Kind of a secret code. I loved it. I love to say, truly resurrected. Yeah, you know, today we can, you know, color eggs and do all kind of fun stuff. And I remember those words again. Forever. And uh, so my father, he is a humanist. He is, he is not a Christian. My parents still don't believe in God, and I pray for them daily. But my father, he believes in, in the good, in the person. He believes in the moral character. And my father would sit on the side of the bed almost every night, and especially when I was sick, and read me books about Moral characters and noble beings. And my father was a man who changed lives of many troubled teenagers. And he never cared about your race or your ethnicity or even if you believe or you don't believe. And without knowing so, my father taught me how to love my heavenly father with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my heart. So if you have children and grandchildren, and even if you feel that you're not in a place right now to teach them about God because of your own behaviors, pray about it and still teach them. Because they will always remember, even in the worst moments of their life where so far away from God, that seed that the parents and grandparents put in their child. It's always there, and God will make it bloom. Uh, in 1986, a lot of change hap- changes happened in former Soviet Union, and uh, the they, republics started claiming their independence slowly. Uh, Kazakhstan actually was one of the first republics that claimed their independence, but it didn't happen yet in 1986. So it's just a little riot started happening here and there in the the country. And uh, Kazakh people, they never had their written language. Kazakhs were nomads. They they traveled from place to place in a huge country, kind of like Mongolians. So they really didn't have... religion. Uh, Some of them were, you know, Buddhists, some Muslims, some had no religion, some pagan, um, worshipped pagan gods, um, but they didn't have written language. So the young people of Kazakhstan got that day in December, so December 16th of 1986, I remember it very well. Um, I still was attending my high school, and um, they asked uh, for democracy, basically. They said they want to have their language not a Russian language as an official one. They asked for some other independent statuses, but they, and it's always good, but they've done it in very desperate and violent way by burning buildings, by killing people, And uh, I was coming home from school. Actually, my mother came and got me uh, from school. And she said, something is going on. We need to get home. And when we were getting home, I lived in a one-million-population city. So it was always, you know, moving and being right in the center of it. And the city was just desolate. There was no one on the street. And I had that fear of something Horrible happening. Uh, we had to lock ourselves in the apartment. My father was in the business trip, so it was just my mom and I. And we asked what was going on. We tried to turn TV on. The TV didn't work. The, um, you know, phones, they stopped working. So my father couldn't call us and uh, find out what was going on. The radio was the only uh, one link with the world. And the radio told us that um, they turned over the ambulance truck and they uh, covered the body of a woman with stones and then severely bit up a policeman. And it happened to be, as we figure out later, a friend, a good friend of my um, father who never recovered from that, had a, uh, brain injuries. And uh, so that was getting scarier and scarier. And uh, um, a lady, a Kazakh lady, bless her heart, she offered us to hide in her apartment, our neighbor. But, you know, we didn't think it would be fair to her if we could be found there. Uh, basically, uh, the nat- not all the natives, of course, but those representatives who, you know, young people who are very angry, they were on a hunt after every white person. And so we, we were hiding... In the dark apartment, we didn't want to turn the light on, uh, that just to be noticed uh, somehow. So, turn the light off, and, and we were there. And for the first time, I could see my mother being afraid. And mothers shouldn't be afraid. Mothers can be afraid. That's kind of a, there's nowhere to go. So, you hit the wall here. And I was shaking and crying for three days for 72 hours of that cold fear. And I knew that the police can't help me, that my mother and father, they can't help me. And so I started asking someone invisible for help. And I could sense the presence of that invisible power in my life. And I had peace among all that that was happening around me. And in three days, the um, Moscow sent the Russian army there, and I don't approve of all the methods that were used. Um, We could see from our window, we could see the lights, those big, you know, Blue lights flashing, and uh, a lot of we, we heard a lot of voices of despair because you know the Russian army came just with the tanks and they were just flattening everything on their way. And so, all these voices and light, and it was a horrible memory. But later, when I gave my heart to Jesus. I thought about it again, and I thought that, you know, when the second coming of Jesus and, and He is here, and people who love them, they are going home with Jesus. But there are those who are just flattened by sin and those voices of despair, but it's already too late. And so there is a sense of urgency for us being Christian people. We need to tell every living person we meet about our God and about our Jesus because at some point it will be too late. I um, um, made, you know, a few mistakes in my life. A few, of course. And... um, um, but God turned it in a different way, you know. Um, when I was in my early 20s, we already lived in Germany. My, my parents are Germans, and we moved to Germany after uh, all these events that were happening in Kazakhstan. Um, and um, I, I got pregnant, and uh, I was still pretty young. And uh, my parents said that, you know... Uh, We are not going to support you. Because the father of the baby, he was an American citizen, and he said that he really, you know, he didn't expect that to happen, but he wanted to um, have his child in his country. And so he talked to my parents, and they said, that's a good idea. So you need a change of life. You need to go. And to me, it was like a shock. You know, I, I... I've been with my parents uh, for so many years, taken care of, and all of a sudden that is going on. But um, I made a choice to come to the United States with the man I really didn't care much for. And being pregnant, and I didn't want to be here at all. Plus, I did not speak any language, no English. So I, I spoke German, With the uh, father of my uh, daughter. And while I was pregnant in North America, um, it was a very interesting thing again that it's not that I can talk to my mom now. I can talk to her on, on the phone for a couple minutes here and there, but I am alone. Never happened before. I mean, I had friends sometimes, you know, to tell them things and parents. But now I am alone. And um, I started talking to that invisible power again. And all of a sudden, I had a knock on the door. And a person came in and uh, they, they introduced all the names. And they said, well... Uh, we, don't, we don't want to bother you because, yeah, they understood they couldn't because I didn't speak any English. But they kind of politely gave me the Bible. And they said, well, maybe something. You can use it. I think that's what they said. So I took it, and I just look at it. I kind of thought about the puppet show. And so that's interesting. And I put it on my shelf. I looked at the book of Romans, though, and I thought, oh, you know, it says Romans. I don't know what it is. I mean, I could read the letters, Latin letters, but okay, I put it back. Then, well, at that time, we didn't have any money to pay for any language lessons or anything like that. So I started watching TV here and there. And uh, one day, I went to a box that I brought with me with books. We loved books. My parents, we, we had about 2,000 books in our home library at home. And uh, I brought some favorite ones, and I opened the box, and here is this little gray book. And I know I didn't put it there, uh, because it wasn't my favorite book. My mother put it there. And my mother, she didn't speak any English either, but the book was, you can say one side was in English and one was in German and i think my mother just put it there because she thought look at that's something in english maybe it can help but the book was the new testament in english and german and i i don't know where it came from though but i opened the book and it says love is patient love is kind it's never jealous and I continue reading that in German. And I thought, that, those are pretty good words. I like it. And I thought, if I read that every day in German and see what's, what it says in English, maybe I can start learning the language. So, don't tell me God didn't have a plan for me. Um. And I was, of course, blessed with with my little daughter when she was three years old. I I met that man. And um, it was something unusual about him. Uh, Nothing like I ever saw in anyone before in my life. It was some kind of a glowing appearance about him. And we spent some time, we, you know... Did some fun things for a few days. And just a few days after meeting him, we were sitting in an ice cream shop. And uh, out of blue, I asked him, what do you think about Jesus? And I know I didn't mean to ask that. I don't know where it came from. (laughs) And he said, well, there's, what can you think about it? It's either people, there are people who believe in Jesus or people who don't. And after that conversation, we had many more talks together, many heated discussions. Only in God, he found strength to love me and to teach me about our Father and to open the entire world to the love and kindness and mercy of the one who gave his sons, own son to us to die, that we can live. And there are so many years passed by already since that moment. But, um, you know, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I see that man, there's a little bit more gray, gray in his whiskers, but I still see that glowing atmosphere. Appearance around him, and I am so blessed to be his wife. Um, I started coming uh, to Adventist Church at the beginning of 2000 with with my he wasn't husband yet, but with uh, him and um, I, you know, was it, so all so was strange. You know, little small church and uh, people really uh, mostly mo- most. The uh, the members of the church were mostly elderly ladies. And somehow they didn't like me much. Because um, their head elder brings that lady to church who doesn't know anything about Jesus. And so they were very careful around me. And uh, one day I walked in the church and that little old lady, she just ran towards me and she gave me a big hug. And since then, she was giving me a hug every time I came to church on Sabbath. And, and later, just a, just a month later, the church, um, they got a the new pastor, very, very meek, very humble man. And he held the meetings, Home for the Homeland and the few people came to Jesus after those meetings, and I was one of them. And I remember sitting and looking at those slides, you know, the slides that we usually use for evangelistic meetings that had really like 60s bright colors. And um, it was a blue bottle of perfume and I think, I, think it, I don't remember all the details but I think it was there because the point was that you know um, only God can make everything and, and not a man but I'm looking at that blue bottle and it comes to me that peace, that warm sensation that I am in someone's arms Someone who really, really loves me and someone who cares about me. And all this uh, history that I had with the puppets and the Baptist man and praying to someone invisible... You know, also when I was little in that humongous city, uh, sitting on the windowsill, alone at home, being scared that someone can break in because uh, it was a high crime in the city, I would talk to a star and think that, you are there, you can help me. Who? I did not know. But all that was coming right in front of my eyes when I was watching the screen that didn't move, just one slide, and a pastor was talking, and I don't remember what he was talking about, but right there, I knew, I, my heart belongs to Jesus, and I want to be baptized." And um, you know, it was a great experience. And when I think about that, I think that Lord tells us, he says, "Wait for me, I'm going to come by." And then this great wind comes. And destroys the mountain and shatters the rocks, but the Lord does not, is not in it. And then the earthquake comes, but the Lord is not in it. And the fire comes, and the Lord is not in the fire. But then that still small voice, the whisper that catches you with your clock, Over your face in the cave, and he said, Where are you? Well, it caught me. Caught me when I was learning about God in a country that was closed from God completely. Um, you know, I, I did not grow up in the time of Stalin when Bibles were burned down and the churches were closed. It was a more, more dangerous time when I was growing up because they reopened some churches. And they said, oh yeah, those who are dumb can go to those churches and worship. And, uh, you know, sometimes I found myself also in my childhood that I was that dumb. I would sneak in the church. And I don't know why, too, but I would sneak, and I would stand there in the corner. There were no priests. Uh, it just The church opened 24-7, but some elderly ladies praying. And I would be in the corner just standing there, and the presence, presence that no one told me about was there with me. And so that was my, my, my privilege, the best day of my life. The day when I accepted Jesus. And one, a little bit after, a few months after, that uh, elderly lady who gave me a hug, she broke her hip. And uh, she ended up in the hospital, and we came to visit her and chatted, and she was getting better. So we said, we are going to come again, Ruth, and we'll see you. Um, we got married after I was baptized, and so we, we came to see Ruth again. And she, she was just holding my hand real tight. And uh, chatting about something. And then she said, oh, I'm so thirsty. And we pressed on the button to call the nurse. And the nurse wasn't coming. So Stephen said, oh, I'm just going to go and find the nurse and get you some ice, Ruth. And Stephen walks out of the room. And Ruth just, she, she holds my hand. She looks at me and she says, I lost so much time. And Ruth passes away right there. And so what I remember the doctors running, nurses, Stephen being shocked. You know, um, her relatives later called us to just to, to know what, what, what was her last minute, basically. But I thought about that still, small voice. God was telling me, get to work, Zlata. We lose so much time. We accept Jesus. We turn from Buddhist into Christians, from Muslim into Christian. There is no such a thing as fourth-generation Adventists. All of us have individual personal experience. God changes the hearts of Buddhists, of Muslims, of fourth-generation Adventists. He brings us to Him. But then every day we still find ourselves in a cave with a cloak over our face. And every day God tells us, Where are you? And we need to listen to that still small voice. Because it's not in an earthquake, it's not in a fire, it is as a whisper. You know, I, I attended the music school for a few years, and, um, you know, I liked it. But I always had a problem that my hands are too small, and I never could, you know, reach past seven notes. And um, when I came to Jesus, I thought about how did, how, how did it all happen? You know, is it my husband who brought me to Jesus? Is it a dog bachelor whose tapes he gave me to watch? And I, you know, I just fell in love with dog's experience and, and uh, you know, was converted, I think, as well. John, book of John in John 3.8 tells us that, um, you know, we hear the wind blowing, but we don't know where it's coming from. And the same thing, and we don't know where it's going, but the same thing is with those who are born of the Spirit. And the same thing was with me. No matter how, how far I try stretching my hand, I still cannot press the keys with that old lady on it, or with my husband's name, or with my father's name, my grandmother's. But one day when Jesus comes back with God everything will be possible and what a music that is going to be softly and tenderly Jesus is calling he is waiting and he is watching it doesn't matter when you are brought to Jesus you might have been 2 years old you might have been 82 but our experience with Jesus is a daily experience. And every day we are born in him. And every day we need to share that old, old story about his love and about him with people. He is waiting and watching. And he is now my shepherd. And... Even if I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I have no fear. And my cup is overflowing. And I know that I will be dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And he is calling softly and tenderly. And he is saying, Come home. Come home. And I invite all of us just to get ready and bring others and come home. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you again for all your goodness. Thank you for loving each one of us. Dear Father, I am a sinner. What a sinner I am. But you loved me anyway, and you still love me now. And dear Father... You found the ways to open my heart, the heart of the person who knew nothing about you, and helped me to fall in love with you. Dear Father, thank you for being our life, our care, our love. I pray, dear Father, that all of us here in this congregation that we fall even more in love with you this morning. That we can fall in love with you so much that this love will be just coming out of us, coming out of our eyes, our mouths, wherever we go, people would say, look, that's just a love came by. Dear Father, we love you. We want to give our hearts to you. And I pray that you guide us and direct us and help us to find someone who doesn't know anything about you yet and help us to share this old, old story about Jesus and about your love. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.